Go Trip Leader Training Module 1, adapted from the book Foreign to Familiar by Sarah Lanier, McDougall Publishing. On a trip to Chile, the Chilean partner commented, I love it when you come. You make us feel important. What did he mean by that? We asked him. He said, you take the time for a relationship. You hug us. You ask us how we are, how our families are. When the other gringos, North Americans, come, they just shake your hand and care only about the project they're trying to complete. Could it be that our partners will remember the people, us, more than the projects we complete? Are we motivated by the amount of work we've done or by the number of relationships we've enriched? Hot climate versus cold climate cultures. The observation that people of different cultures think, act, and react differently is nothing new. Anyone who travels or knows someone from abroad has observed this phenomenon. The two broad groups represented are hot climate, relationship-based cultures, and cold climate, task-oriented cultures. For example, Latin cultures are hot since relationship is the basis of everything, even in the work setting. Northern Europeans are considered cold since efficiency is their ruling value. Neither is right nor wrong, just different. After all, we need both. The culture of the Southerners in the United States had similarities to other hot climate cultures, such as those of Latin Americans, more so in fact than with fellow Americans from the Northern states. The contrast continues across the globe. Though they often accurately describe the weather of a particular country, the hot, cold descriptions primarily refer to the warmth of relationships rather than the actual climate of that culture. Here are the broad differences between hot, relationally-oriented cultures and cold, efficiency-oriented cultures. For each of these cultural differences, read the case study and then discuss the questions. Relational orientation are hot climate cultures. They are relationship-based. Communication must have a feel-good atmosphere. Though individuals may be otherwise, society is feeling-oriented. Efficiency and time do not take priority over the person. It's inappropriate to talk business upon first arriving at a business meeting or making a business phone call. The task-oriented cold climate cultures. They are task-oriented. Communication must provide accurate information. Though individuals may be otherwise, society is logic-oriented. Efficiency and time are high priorities, and taking them seriously is a statement of respect for the other person. Case study. If we were to say to someone in the South, I just got my hair cut, what do you think of it? Even if my hair gives new definition to the term ugly, the response will invariably be, it's real nice. Truth is not their focus here. Keeping a friendliness between us is. What is the reason for this reaction? All hot climate communication has one goal, to promote a feel-good atmosphere, a friendly environment. The truth can take a back seat to the relationship. No one is willing to jeopardize the friendliness, no matter how superficial, to tell me the truth about my hair. Let me find out how bad it looks some other way. I told this to a close friend who happened to be a Southerner. She laughed about the hair example and said that though she saw it was true in the South, she preferred to tell it like it is. Only a few weeks later, I came home with a terrible haircut. 
It was way too short. That same friend insisted she liked it. Then, as I was driving off, she called after me, and don't worry, your hair will grow back. In, in cold climate, Holland, on the other hand, accurate communication is valued. If I asked a friend in Holland what he or she thought of my haircut, the focus on the most accurate answer to my question would be with no thought of how that answer might affect my feelings. The answer might be, it makes your face look fat. If I said, well, that hurts my feelings, the person would answer, what do feelings have to do with it? You asked my opinion. This isn't about you, it's about your hair. Here's some questions to think about. What are some funny or challenging stories from your Go country? When there was an obvious cultural difference between your team and your hosts in the area of relational or task-oriented situations. Two, how do you navigate those situations with your country hosts? Three, how do you choose your words wisely when speaking to a person from the host culture? Direct versus indirect communication. Indirect in the hot climate culture. It's all about being friendly. Questions must be phrased in such a way as to not offend by directness. Use a third party for accurate information if you sense that a direct question will be too harsh or not get the results you're seeking. See Filipino, Filipino and Southeast Asian culture. A yes may not be an answer to your question. It may be the first step in beginning a friendly interchange or verbal compliance may be required by the culture. Avoid a yes-no question. Avoid embarrassing people. Do not call someone out. For direct, cold climate cultures. Short, direct questions show respect for the person's time as well as professionalism. Yes is a yes, no is a no. No hidden meanings. An honest, direct answer is information only. It does not reflect on how the person feels about you. He, she may be calling you out. You can say what you think nicely, and it will usually not be taken personally. Case study. Where is the nearest post office located? Frustrated tourists in Turkey or in the Philippines or some other hot climate culture have asked this question many times and received a very friendly response and even directions. When they followed the directions, however, they discovered much to their dismay that the post office was not where they'd been sent. Sometimes the village doesn't even have a post office. Sometimes a person is trying to be helpful and cannot bear to disappoint the questionnaire with bad news, so he or she gives a friendly answer just to create a friendly atmosphere. The answer may not be accurate at all, so how do you get to the truth? Direct questions should be avoided so that the person being questioned is not shamed for not having the correct answer for you. To find out about the location of the post office, therefore, you need an indirect strategy. One method would be to ask a man on the street if he would ask the man on the corner if he knows where the post office is located. In this way, the man on the corner can be free to say to the messenger, no man, I, I haven't a clue where it is. He is free to say this because he's not disappointing a visitor to his country. He is just responding to the messenger. You will discover sooner or later that rarely does the direct approach result in the answer you are looking for. Questions to think about. 
One, do you have some examples of communication challenges from one of your go trips? And two, you never want to shame a person from your host country by asking them a question inappropriate to their culture. How can you avoid those situations? Group orientation versus individualism. Group orientation, hot climate cultures. I belong, therefore I am. My identity is tied to the group, family, tribe, etc. Group projects provide for my well-being. Taking initiative within a group is often determined by my role. I do not expect to have to stand alone. My behavior reflects the whole group. Team members expect direction from their leader. Individualistic cold climate cultures. I am a self-standing person with my own identity. Every individual should have an opinion and can speak for him or herself. Taking initiative within a group is good and expected. One must know how to make one's own decisions. My behavior reflects me, not the group. Case study. A common mistake that I have seen made in international gatherings is to ask the people present to give an opinion on a certain subject. The American will readily stand up and give his or her opinion, but the Kenyan will not. He will not speak until he has had time to consult his group. If he already knows how the group feels about a certain subject, he can speak, representing not his own opinion, but the consensus of the group he represents. The result is that one Kenyan voice may represent 20 other individuals, while one American voice may represent just that one person. The leaders of international gatherings may need to find ways to give greater weight to the input of a person representing his group culture. For example, in a conference where perhaps 20 languages were represented, the principal language is English. All the plenary sessions were conducted in English, as were most of the workshops. The leadership, made up mostly of Europeans and Americans, was discussing whether or not to have translation from the podium or just to have simultaneous translations for the various language groups to save time. As various individuals voiced their opinions, it was obvious that simultaneous translation was the preference of the group. Then a man from Bolivia spoke up and quietly explained the difficulty translators had with simultaneous translation. They were only able to hear half sentences because they did not have time to finish translating a sentence before the speaker was on to the next one. He also explained that alternating translation helped those who spoke English as a second language. The time gap after each sentence allowed the person time to assimilate better what was being said. This is true even if he or she does not understand the translation. The head of the leadership heard the Bolivian, but then said, good point, but the majority seem to think it's not worth the loss of time on the podium to have the alternating translation. What he failed to recognize was that the Bolivian man was representing the majority. The others were not speaking up simply because they had been represented and did not need as individuals to be heard. The people of the individualistic cultures all spoke up for themselves, so they seemed to be the majority. The one vote from the hot climate culture group must have equaled as many as 20 of the cold climate votes. Add this to the dynamic of the hot climate people being indirect in their communication and thus more reluctant to state their preferences directly, 
and we had a poor representation of the desires of the majority of the people. Questions to think about. One, do you have some stories from your go trips about times when group and individual individualistic differences became apparent? Two, this is a tough one for Americans. We are taught to be strong, assertive self-starters. How can we humbly enter into a different culture and be sensitive to those differences? Inclusion versus privacy. Inclusion, hot climate cultures. Group-oriented culture. Individuals know they are automatically included in conversation, meals, and other activities of the group. Possessions are to be used freely by all, food, tools, etc. It's not desirable to be left to oneself. And it's rude to hold a private conversation or make plans that exclude others present. Privacy, cold climate cultures. Enjoy time and space to themselves. People are expected to ask permission to borrow something or to interrupt a conversation. Each person is considered to be the steward of his or her possessions and has the responsibility to maintain and protect them. In a community setting, it might be common to label one's food, tools, etc. to set them apart from the group's common possessions. It is acceptable to hold private conversations or make exclusive plans with a few people, not including everyone. Real story. I was invited to the home of an American friend for dinner in Chile. It had been over a year since we had seen each other and our plan was to catch up on news of mutual friends and share photos. I, for one, was expecting an evening of private conversation. While we were still eating, a knock came on the door. It opened and a man came in. He pulled up a chair and joined us. We forgot our previous conversation and talked with this man about local news. Then another knock on the door announced yet another visitor. And this visitor too joined us and the subject of conversation was once again changed. The two visitors stayed until midnight and we thoroughly enjoyed their company. Our own plans were forgotten. What seemed strange for me was the fact that my American friend thought nothing of this intrusion. He had lived in Chile so long that he no longer considered our visit a private one. It had become, for him, an inclusive event. Inclusive cultures also view food as something to be shared. One would never take out a sandwich in front of others and not offer to share it. I'm told that there's a saying in Japanese, even if you only have one single pea, you divide it up equally according to the number of people in the room. Questions to think about. Number one, have you ever been in a situation cross-culturally where you thought it was a private conversation, but it developed into something else? And number two, how can we not only accept this in other countries, but actually try and practice it while in a host country? Spontaneous versus planned hospitality. Spontaneous hospitality, hot climate cultures. It is the context for relationship, even business relationships. It takes place in the home. Host fully takes care of the needs of the guest. The guest pays for nothing. If you invite someone out, you are expected to pay. A gift for the host is expected. Food and drink are involved. Travelers are taken in and provided for. Planned hospitality, cold climate cultures. 
Host prefers advance notice of a visit and prepares. Travelers are expected to make their own arrangements other than what is specifically communicated to the host ahead of time. Guests need to expect to pay for their transportation and restaurants if visiting the U.S. If the host plans to pay, he usually will say so. Hospitality is a special occasion, taking the full attention of the host. Real story. The Delta flight was leaving on time. Three of us were strapped in, one next to the other, each finding it easy to make small talk. As the plane lifted off, so did our burdens of office work. We were off to Glorieta, New Mexico for a week-long conference, and our minds were filled with thoughts of mountains and crisp air and a break from the Atlanta downtown routine. So Sarah, my aisle seat colleague said in that chatty manner of a tourist on vacation, tell me, what was it like growing up in Israel? By the window sat Ada from Lebanon. She'd been in the States eight years and was much more of an expert on Middle Eastern culture than I was. But at the moment, Ada seemed to be fascinated by the window. So I took up the challenge. Well, I grew up in a variety of cultures. The Jewish and Arab cultures are vastly different. How so? she asked. In the Jewish culture, you say what you think. It's direct, and you know where you stand with people. The Arab culture, on the other hand, is much more indirect. It's all about friendliness and politeness. If offered a cup of coffee, I say, no, thank you. The host offers it again, and I decline again with something like, no, no, don't bother yourself. He might offer a third time, and I'd reply, no, I, I really don't want any coffee, believe me. Then my host serves the coffee, and I drink it. You've got to be kidding, she said incredulously. No, really, I assured her. You're, su you're supposed to refuse the first few times. It's the polite thing to do. Then what if you really don't want the coffee, she asked. Well, then there are idioms you can use to say that you wouldn't, um, that you wouldn't for any reason refuse their kind hospitality, and at some point in the future you'll gladly join them in coffee, but at the moment you really can't drink it. Now Ada got into the conversation. Incredible. I didn't know that, she said, as our heads turned her way. Ada, I replied, what do you mean you didn't know that? You're Lebanese, for heaven's sake. Yes, she said, but I mean, I didn't know that this was not normal. I've been in the United States for eight years already and did not realize it was done differently here. That explains so much. I've been lonely since moving here, and now I know why. When people in the office would ask me if I wanted to go to lunch, I would say no to be polite, fully expecting them to ask me again. When they didn't and left without me, I thought they didn't really want me along and had asked only out of politeness. In my culture, it would have been too forward to say yes the first time. For this reason, I've had few American friends. After all these years, now I know why. Questions to think about. One, give some examples of when you were in a host's home in your go country and you didn't know the right thing to do. Chico from Rise Malawi School in Malawi recently told me about when he was living in America while working on his master's. He said one of the most difficult differences for him was that he got very frustrated that he kept having to ask for everything. 
He said that in Malawi, if you were in someone's home, the host would always be aware of possible needs you might have and be trying to meet them. The host would offer you a drink. The host would launder your clothes while you were gone. The host would know that you need an extra blanket in your room and it would just already be there. He said in America, he was constantly having to ask for those things and it made him feel like he was imposing on his host by being there. Number two, can we anticipate those differences when we welcome a global partner from another country into our homes? Number three, how can we be gracious in the homes of our hosts in go countries? High context versus low context societies. High context societies, hot climate cultures. Everything matters. Who you are related to, who knows you matters. It is better to overdress than underdress. Watch to see how others respond in a situation in order to apply appropriate behavior. Remember to honor the people you are dealing with. Too casual is insulting. Ask a local person who's lived overseas for a while what is important to know. Use manners and respect the rules. Give attention to appropriate greetings. Low context societies, cold climate cultures. Who you know matters, but not as much. What you know is important. Not offended by the casual atmosphere. Lack of protocol does not mean rejecting nor dishonoring. The gathering may be unaware of what the rules are, so leave your rules at home. Address people by their given names unless others use titles. Anything goes within reason. Case study. Korea is 5,000 years old. Now that's an old culture. Imagine the stacks of traditions and rules that have had time to accumulate there. From the time a Korean child is born, he is constantly being instructed on what is appropriate and what is required in his culture. Authority goes with age and position. Titles such as teacher, Mr., Mrs., and officer accompany each person's name and the given name. First name is never used without it. Proper protocol is expected at all times. A Korean going overseas usually considers his customs to be normal. When he encounters the informality of the West, he is often surprised and takes the informality as a lack of respect for himself and others. One Korean friend came to work at an international team in a low context culture and was shocked to find that everyone was on a first name basis. Even the children called adults by their first names. Staff members called their supervisors on all levels by their given names. My Korean friend found this awkward and dishonoring and attempted to use Mr. for himself and others until he finally gave up. The rest of the staff, although they could not understand this apparent arrogance, complied with his request. Later, however, when he asked that he be greeted when everyone else entered a room he was in, this was too much for some of those from other nationalities. Rather than simply sitting down and talking about their own traditions and cultural rules, they argued with him and became angry and a dividing wall went up. Another Korean friend of mine came to work cross-culturally in that same country. 
She knew that it would be difficult, even painful, and the first few years were just that. Soon, however, she learned to change hats. She wore her Western hat where that was appropriate and switched back to her Korean one when around Koreans. The good part about her approach is that she became a culture bridge for other Koreans as they ventured outside their nation. She did not become a Westerner, but one who knew how to relate to Westerners. Questions to think about. Number one, what are some examples of people not knowing their context that you've encountered on a go trip? Number two, what can we do to become students of the context of the go country we will be leading in? Ruled by relationship versus ruled by time. Ruled by relationships, hot climate cultures, are not as oriented toward the clock and are less planned. Are event oriented, are spontaneous and flexible in their approach to life. Respond to what life brings, fate and destiny. Life happens versus I have to make it happen. Consider that saving time is not as important as experiencing the moment. Recognize that structure is required in some areas of life, the military, for example. Have informal visiting as part of the event. Ruled by time, cold climate cultures. Time-oriented planned events. Structured in their approach to life. Enjoy using time efficiently. Try to plan their day and saving time is a value. Expect the event, dinner, guest arrival meeting to begin at the time announced. Visiting or informally chatting happens before or after the event. Case study. Zimbabwe, Colombia, or the Philippines. The wedding is, a, is to be at 2 p.m. At 1.45 p.m., four, Nor- four Norwegians and two Canadians show up to take their seats before the wedding starts. They find the church locked up and no one around, except for some children playing out back. Excuse me, kids, is this the place the wedding is taking place? Oh, yes, there is a wedding today. A bit worried that there really is to be a wedding, the guests wait on the steps. At 1.55, a group of women arrives with flowers and they unlock the church and start decorating. A choir master comes in a few minutes later and starts getting out choir robes. By 2.30, a few people arrive hanging around and talking outside. The cold climate guests have found seats by now and keep looking at their watches, becoming frustrated that the wedding is getting started late and no one seems to care. What they don't know is that at around 2 o'clock, the bride started getting ready. The preacher started a meal with the groom's parents, and a young man started his five-kilometer walk to the church. Stopped along the way by an old man, this young man takes as long as the old man wants to talk. It would have been dishonoring for him to tell the older man that he needed to hurry. Gradually, the crowd arrives. The choir is practicing, and those who are choir members join the practice one by one as they arrive. Soon, the choir begins to sing, and the festivities start to come to life. Around 3.45 p.m., the bride and groom finally arrive, and the ceremony begins. By 6 o'clock, the wedding feast is in full swing. The hot climate culture wedding was an event 
and the event began at 2 p.m. That was when the people stopped what they were doing and began wedding activities. Getting the church decorated, entertaining the groom's family, and washing the children and getting them dressed up for the occasion. The event had begun. The cold climate guests were frustrated. They expected the bride to start down the aisle at 2 p.m. Before 2, according to their reasoning, everyone should have been in their places at the church ready to start the wedding. To the hot climate people, the wedding did begin at 2 p.m. The event began with all the activity that surrounded it. The ceremony was only a small part of that event. Questions to think about. One, this is probably the most common and frustrating cultural difference for Americans traveling to a hot culture country. Share some stories of time differences from your previous go trips. Two, in Mexico, there is the idea of mañana. It can be done tomorrow. How does that make you feel? Relieved or anxious? Number three, there are many advantages of the culture that is not ruled by time. Imagine that your team is at your host home waiting for someone from your host country to arrive and start the day's schedule. Rather than all sit and talk about how late you're going to be to start your tasks, how could your team make amazing use of that time. Four, what are ways to prepare your team before arrival in your go country to be ready to work on local time? Here's some bonus things to do to prepare. Bonus number one, look for a cultural interpreter. Two, read as much as possible about the history of the people in that culture. Three, seek out book sources in libraries or on the internet. Four, before leaving home, find people from that country who can tell you about their country. Five, try and find out the values of that society. Six, be aware of culture shock and culture stress. Seven, returning home, be aware of reverse culture shock. Eight, look for others who have traveled or people from your host culture once you return home. Nine, learn phrases in the local language. 10, be listening and observing. Don't pass judgment until you have discovered the reason behind people's strange habits. Find out why.